This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'm grateful for His mercy, aren't you? Let's take our Bible, if you would please, and go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 13. And uh, today, uh, God willing, we are beginning a new study in the life of David. <laughs> and some of you may be thinking, well, Pastor, that's uh, in the Old Testament. And it is. <clears throat> but I want us to... Uh, look at this passage that we find in Acts chapter number 13 because I believe it provides for us uh, a, a very tremendous statement uh, that uh, gives us an overview of the life of David and I think one that uh, will challenge us as we uh, examine his life together in the Scripture uh, which records the events of his life. Acts chapter number 13, we'll read just two verses here, verse 36 and verse 37. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid into his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. The Apostle Paul is delivering this message. He's in the synagogue in Antioch, speaking to a group of Jews, and he is preaching to them the message of the gospel of Christ, and he is appealing to the Old Testament scriptures to make the case concerning uh, David's prophecy concerning Christ that he would not see corruption. That prophecy is given to us in the book of the Psalms, in Psalm 16. And verse number 10, we'll look at that a little bit later. But we find in this statement that the Apostle Paul is making uh, a statement that I believe is, is a great summation uh, of the life of David. It provides an overview, if you would, for us of his life. Again, we notice verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell on sleep. That is a, a term to describe that he died and was laid into his fathers and saw corruption. I want us to note the Bible says here in verse 36 that David served his own generation. I want to speak to you on this thought this morning. David served his generation. David served his generation. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do pray that uh, you would speak to us through your word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And help us as we look into the pages of God's word, as we examine the life of David and the example that is set for us through it. I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray that you would stir our hearts and our minds so that we might gain an understanding 
that David gained. That he did not simply occupy the throne of Israel so that he might enrich himself, but he understood that he was a servant. Our Lord Jesus knew that when he came, he came to serve. And I pray that you would help us to understand today that we are your servants. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. David served his generation. You know that David is one of the most widely written of, written of characters in all of the Bible. Uh, he is known to us uh, as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Bethlehem is called the city of David. The Lord Jesus is the promised seed of David who will rule throughout eternity. And when he comes to the earth and returns to this earth someday, he will set upon the throne of David. But when we think of David, we think of a number of different things that we remember of his life. We see him out in the fields, David and his sheep, where as a shepherd he protected those sheep and provided for their needs. We see him in the valley of Elah with his sling. And he was as Saul uh, defined him, the stripling, the young man who slew the giant. We see him in the field of battle, David and his sword as a soldier who led the armies of Israel. We see him in the house of God with his harp. David in his songs, the psalmist who sang to the Lord. We see him in the presence of God on his knees with tears in his eyes. David and his sorrows, the sinner who received pardon. We hear him in his prayer closet. As they're recorded for us in the Psalms. David and his supplications as he offers his petitions to the Lord. What a life, the life of David. There's so much for us to glean. Bigger than that, more important than that, is the God of David, who is our God. The life of David provides instruction and inspiration for those who may be overlooked, as was David in his youth. To those who have been unjustly accused, to those who are the object of the hatred of others, to those who perhaps have strayed away from the Lord and have sinned against Him in ways they never imagined, to those who are alone and despondent, to those who are burdened, to those who are despairing or afflicted or persecuted or guilty or condemned or joyful or triumphant. To each of you and to all of us, David has a story to tell, he has a song to sing, and he has a prayer to recite. That's why he is so beloved uh, by God and by God's people. And with so much to say about David, I think the defining statement that we could read concerning his life is recorded for us here in Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. He served his generation. C.T. Studd wrote these words, only one life will soon be passed. Only that which is done for Christ will last. And may God help us 
to receive and understand that truth and the implications of it. I want us to think about three thoughts this morning. I'll give them to you and then we'll look at each one of them. Number one, we see that David served his generation. David served his generation. Number two, we will see that David submitted to God. David submitted to God. And then finally, we'll see that David slept in the grave. Let's notice, first of all, that David served his generation. The word served here means to serve under the direction of someone. We think of David as the king, of course, and as the king, he was the man in charge, but he really was never the man in charge. He understood that God was in charge. As the shepherd boy, he understood that his dad was in charge and it was his responsibility to keep his father's sheep. As the captain of Saul's army, he understood that Saul was in charge and he was the king. And so this word serve means to serve under the direction of someone as an attendant, a subordinate, an assistant. I remember a man who said to me one day, he said, I don't do well, you know, taking orders from other people. I, I'm the kind of guy that likes to give them. <laughs> I thought, well, you said it all when you said I don't do well because we're all taking orders from somebody, right? We understand that. And ultimately, we're taking those from the Lord. If we know him, the Bible says that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And he is our Lord. He's our Savior. And as our Lord and as our sovereign, then we are to submit to him. And so David served his generation. The prime example for us is our Savior, the Lord Jesus. He is an example to us concerning the spirit and the surrender of a servant. I want you to go with me to the book of Philippians, if you would, please. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 5, a very familiar passage to, to many of you. And this passage, of course, speaks of the humility of Christ. The Bible says, beginning in verse number five, let this mind be in you. Let me just stop and say this to you. This is where the battle is raging in our hearts and our lives is in the mind. But Satan cannot have your soul if you know the Lord as your savior. If you do not know the Lord, he already has your soul and it's heading for an awful place called hell. Jesus who loves you came to die for you to save your soul uh, from sin and from death to deliver you from the bondage of Satan and of sin. And if you belong to him, if you're saved by him, uh, then you are to serve him. And if you're going to do so, then you have to have the right kind of thinking. The way we receive the right kind of thinking is we look together into the pages of the word of God because the word of God expresses the mind of God. And as we saturate our hearts and minds with God's truth, then our mind is, as Paul wrote to the Romans, renewed. And oh, how we need a renewal of our minds in this day. And so the Bible says, let this mind be in you. Think the way that Jesus thinks, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. There is none higher than God. And here is Jesus who is God. He is the son of God. He is co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father. 
And he came to this earth and, verse 7, made himself of no reputation. He wasn't honored as God by the people of this earth, just by a handful. He took upon him the form not of a king, but of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. What a task. He humbled himself. This is a challenge to us, is it not? And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As God's servants, we must understand that we must have a spirit of humility. And we must be willing to suffer the death that all of us resist. That's death to self. And surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to the Lord and allow him to live his life in us and through us. You see, a servant must be humble in spirit. He must be submitted to those he serves. And if you truly desire to be exalted, then you will understand that you must humble yourself. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And so David understood something. He was a servant. And as we will read through the life of David, we will find in his years as a shepherd and as a soldier, and even unjustly accused and on the run from Saul, we're going to find that David understood that he was a servant. When he became the king of Israel, he understood that he was a servant. And may God help us to have that understanding. He served his generation. Now, think about this. I want you to see who he served. The Bible said he served his own generation by the will of God. Do you know that you and I have been chosen and called to serve? That's what God has placed us here to do. We've been placed here to serve him. We are tasked then with the responsibility that we would serve our generation. It's important to note here that David served his own generation in accordance to the will of God and not according to the will of man. You see, there's a great temptation here for you and I. The temptation is, is that we would be motivated to serve according to the whims and the fancies of public opinion. Many of our politicians are motivated that way. But God's people should not. We're tempted to do that which is pleasing and acceptable in the sight of man. But it is incumbent upon us as the servants of God that we would do that which is pleasing to the Lord, even at the expense of it being offensive to this world. We are not to be men-pleasers. We are to be God-pleasers. So we note whom we serve. The second thing I want you to see here, we note when he served. And I think there are four statements that, that I can give you here, or four thoughts that will help you have an understanding of the time in which he served. He served in the time of a disobedient king. That king was Saul. Saul became a self-willed, impatient, insecure, and intolerant leader. As a result of that, there was a despairing prophet. His name was Samuel. He was the one who anointed 
Saul to be the king. God told him to do so. And Saul watched with a broken heart, or rather Samuel watched with a broken heart as Saul disobeyed the command of the Lord, as Saul grew increasingly self-willed and selfish, as Saul led the people astray and rebelled against God. Samuel's heart was broken. He despaired. And then there was a distressed people. The nation of Israel was under distress because of this oppressive and intolerant leader named Saul. It doesn't sound a lot unlike our current generation, does it? A disobedient king, one who doesn't fear God. You say, we don't have a king. No, but we have a government that is turned against God. A despairing prophet, you and I have watched our nation going in a direction that is unfathomable to us and it causes us to despair. A nation that is divided and distressed. But there was one other thing that we find in this generation that I believe God would have you and I to find our place in today, and that is a devoted servant. You see, with all the problems going on in David's generation, there was at least one. In fact, we know there were more, but the one we're talking about, David, is the one uh, that we know was a devoted servant. A man, as God said in his word, after his own heart. What is God looking for today? The same thing he was looking for then. A man or a woman after his heart. And may God help us to be those people. You see, God's faithfulness extends to all generations, and therefore we find in every generation, including our own, those who are willing to lay aside the selfish temporal pursuits and surrender their lives in order to serve the Lord and the people they live among. May God help us to do so. And why do we do this? We do this for the glory of God. We do this for the salvation of lost souls. As Paul exclaimed in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the high calling of God? It involves the fact that you and I become servants, bond slaves to Jesus. And so we see here, we see who he served. He served his own generation. God has placed us here for this time to serve our generation. We note when he served in the midst of a despairing time, a, a dreadful time, and that's where we are. We find ourselves there today. And then note how he served. We see the roles and the responsibilities that he has. And by the way, you and I have different roles and responsibilities. But all of us have a role. And all of us have responsibilities. And may God help us to fulfill those roles. David had a number of roles in his lifetime. First of all, as a shepherd. What did he do? He watched over his sheep. He provided for them. He protected them. Then later on, he had a group of men that he was responsible to lead. You know, the Bible says that those who were in debt and those who were in distress, they joined themselves to David. What a group. But that's the group God gave him. And he led them. God has given you a group of people. Maybe it's your family, those you work with, and you're the only shepherd they have. May God help us to fulfill that responsibility and that role. He was a soldier. 
He fought daily battles in his life. We read of the victory that he fought and won over Goliath, but before we ever get to that battle, we find about the daily battles that he fought, the daily battles that you and I fight, the daily battles that we fight with ourselves and with sin in the world and the flesh. David was willing to fight those battles. And by the way, they never go away, do they? They have to be contended every day. Every day we deal with the flesh. Every day we deal with our pride. Every day we deal with our attitude. Every day we deal with despondency and doubt and deceit and lust. And you name it. These are things that we deal with on a daily basis. And we have to deal with these in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to deal with them according to the truths of God's word. He's a soldier. He fought the daily battles. Do not despair in the daily battles. Keep fighting. Amen. He fought the enemies of Israel. He fought the flesh. As a psalmist, he provides for us a wonderful book, doesn't he? Not all of the psalms are his, but a great number of them are. He is referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel. He teaches us how to worship the Lord in good days and bad. He sang, he prayed, he trusted, he repented, he sacrificed, and he prepared his heart in these psalms. And then as a sovereign, what did he do? He governed the nation. You see, truly, David served his generation. May God help us to be servants. May God help us to humble ourselves and understand what purpose God has given to us. We are here as members of the church of the living God. And we are here to proclaim his truth and to serve him and bring glory and honor to him. I want you to see a second thing. Not only that David served his generation, but David submitted to his God. Submission is a hard thing for us to learn. The Bible says that he served his generation by the will of God. He did not do what he wanted to do. He served his generation by the will of God. David was a shepherd boy. I don't know if he ever imagined that he would be the king. But one day while he was out in the field, Samuel came to his house and told Jesse to call your sons. They didn't even think enough of David to call him in. Seven boys passed before Samuel and God said, I haven't chosen this one. I haven't chosen this one. Now you think that one's the one, but he's not. And finally, Samuel said, are these all your sons? And they said, oh, well, you know, there's, there's little David out there in the field. Well, get him in here. <laughs> David comes into the house and he sees Samuel the prophet and maybe he looks at his brothers and they have a disappointing look and they're thinking in their mind, oh, no, not David. Surely not David. And God said, oh, yes, it's David. You see, we don't have any insight on whether David ever really wanted to be the king or not, but we would certainly not imagine that he ever thought he would be. But now he's the king. God has a plan for him. By the way, the same God who chose David to be the king chose the other brothers 
for the position he had for them. Not everybody can serve in the same position. We have to understand that God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. And he's righteous. And he's just. And he makes no mistakes. That's a wonderful, comforting thing to know. Especially when you feel like, I don't know that I've got the credit I deserve. You see, it was the sovereign hand of God that placed David in Bethlehem and in the home of Jesse. It was the sovereign hand of God that placed him in the pastures to protect the sheep. It was God's sovereign hand that put him in the valley of Elah to face Goliath. It was God's hand that placed him in the house of Saul to soothe his soul. And it was the same God who put him in the rocks and the caves of the wilderness where he fled for his life even though he had done nothing wrong. God put him there. That's hard to reconcile, isn't it? Maybe you think you're there today. Understand that God's in control. And it was the same God that put him in Jerusalem to reign. And it was the same God that put him in the temple to worship. He's sovereign. And my responsibility is to acknowledge that and to submit to him. You see, David responded to the Lord's sovereign hand by submission. Before he ever learned to sit on the throne, he learned to bow his knee. We like that idea of the throne, but we're not so keen on the idea of taking a knee and submitting to God. You see, he learned to submit to divine authority, and James tells us to do so in James chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you know that the devil hates submission? Unless it's to him. He's the original rebel. And he loves to incite rebellion. You read the book of Jude and what characterizes the last days. Rebellion, anarchy, disrespect toward authority. David learned to submit to the divine authority, to submit himself to God, to resist the devil, to draw nigh to God, James says in James 4 verse 8, and he will draw nigh to you. What a wonderful promise. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and he shall lift you up. Someone said the way up is down. And so may God help us to humble ourselves. You see, we understand as David understood that all human authority derives from divine authority. That, that would begin in your home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is what? This is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What do we find about David? He was obedient and respectful toward his parents. He learned to submit to personal authority. 
The personal authority that God has placed in your life is a thing called your conscience. The Bible speaks of it in Romans chapter 1 and verse number, uh, verse number 18. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That characterizes our day, does it not? People who hold the truth, God's word, in unrighteousness. People who would say to us, if you believe the Bible is the word of God and what the Bible teaches, you are unloving and unkind and you don't understand what's going on in this current culture. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Why? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. What have they done? They have rebelled against the witness that God has placed within them and that is the witness of the conscience and the witness of the conscience is our personal authority. There's something in us that says to us, don't do that. And when we violate our conscience time and time again, when we rage against it, then we find ourselves living in a society like the one we live in today. Do not violate your conscience. He learned to submit to civil authority. We're commanded to do so in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And he learned to submit himself to spiritual authority. Hebrews 13 and verse 17, the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. God has placed spiritual leaders into your life, and they are accountable to God to speak the truth to you, to love you, and to lead you. And if you're constantly fighting and resisting them, then you are not hurting anyone else other than yourself. You see, David learned to submit to these authorities in his life. And ultimately, by submitting to these authorities, he was submitting to God. And if you have a problem submitting to an authority that God has placed in your life, it reflects the fact that you have a problem with submitting to God's authority. And so we see that David submitted to his God. Then thirdly, we see this. David slept in his grave. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13 in verse number uh, 36, for David, after he'd served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. That doesn't mean he got tired and got sleepy and went to bed. No, it means he died. He fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers. They buried him and he saw corruption. His body began to decay. You see, here we have the great king, the mighty soldier, the sweet psalmist, the selfless shepherd, the faithful son. He has died now. His life is over. I imagine by the time we get through with the life of David, when we draw near to the end of his life and we Learn of his death, we're going to miss him. Hopefully as we walk through the life of David together, the pages of God's word, we're, we're going to get to know him. Like we know one another. And when we read of his death, 
it will bring grief to us. No doubt it brought grief to a nation when the king of Israel died. It reminds us that all of us are going to die. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 28, and he, speaking of David, died in a good old age. Well, we all hope that we make it that long, right? Full of days, riches and honor. You say, well, I don't know about the riches and honor part. I'd like that, but I'm not experiencing that. Well, if you know Jesus, you have riches and you have honor. You have riches and honor that Bill Gates can't touch in Jesus who has promised to supply all our need according to his riches and glory, who has declared that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's better than any rich uncle you're hoping you've got. It's not even comparable. You've got the blessings of God, eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, the removal of the stain and guilt of sin, all of these wonderful, glorious things Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. Do you believe that today? That's better than any money in the bank. And so as David drew near to the end of his life, he wasn't looking back, as so many of us do, back to the good old days. No, he wasn't doing that. He was looking forward. He realized his time is coming to an end. And so the Bible tells us that he served his generation with an awareness that his opportunity was short. His generation was passing and another generation was rising. As an older man, we, we find David, he's still in the battle. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 21 that the enemy of Israel, the Philistines, engaged David again and there was a giant there the son of Goliath, who tried to kill David. But one of the young men of Israel intervened and defeated the giant. By the way, if you are willing to invest in the next generation, there's going to come a day when the next generation is going to step in for you. And may God help us to do so. You see, David had an awareness that his life was coming to an end. He had a great desire in his heart. Do you remember what that desire was? It was to build the temple, a place for God to dwell. It was in his heart to do so. But the Lord said, David, it's a great thing. I want you to know that while you want to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house, an eternal house. And your descendants, your son, is going to sit on the throne of Israel for all eternity. That son, of course, is Jesus. What a glorious thing that God did for David. What a glorious thing. And so David desired to build that house, but it wasn't his to build. It was for his son to build. So what did David do? He poured the energy of the remaining years of his life into the effort to do all that he could to prepare the place, to prepare the materials, to prepare the priests for the construction of the temple and the occupation of it. You see, he would not ever walk in it, but his son would. He didn't just think about himself. 
He thought about the generation to come. We're here for a short time. There's a generation that's coming after us. The Bible says that Solomon and his son reigned in his stead. There's going to come a day when you and I are being laid in the grave and our children will remain here. And what will we leave for them? I hope we will leave them a legacy of love and truth. They will understand that it is now their opportunity to serve God in their generation. We need to understand that we only have a few days to, to get the job done. It won't be long before any of us are asleep in that grave. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. James said in James 4 and verse 14, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Moses said in Psalm 90 verse 12, So teach us to number our days. You see, the days that we have left, we need to invest in the next generation. I'm talking about the kids in this youth group and the young people in the Sunday school rooms and the babies in the nursery. We need to invest in them. We need to teach them the truths that have been committed to us. We need to pray that they will embrace those truths. We, we, we need to love them with all of our hearts so that one day uh, the, the same thing that has been committed to us and then has been committed to them, they will be assured of knowing of whom they have learned these truths, knowing that the people who truly cared about them, the people who truly loved them, taught them the truth. We must equip them to fight the good fight of faith. We must prepare the way for the future. We must invest in the work of God for future generations. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5, and he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. <laughs> Too many, too many of God's people have been asleep. Too much apathy and indifference in the midst of these dark days. Paul said, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There are people who've been in church all their life who have never understood what the will of God is. Why did God put the church here and what we are to do? May God help us to invest and serve our generation by the will of God. We're not here to occupy our time or to create social events. We're here to serve God. And we only have a short time. David went to the grave and he saw corruption. But he went to that grave trusting in the one who would descend from him, the son of David, more importantly, the son of God, who would go to the grave after he was crucified on the cross, but who would never see corruption. On the third day, came out of that tomb triumphant, leading captivity captive. Don't you think David was glad to see Jesus when he led him out of paradise and into glory, the one who never saw corruption? And because he never saw corruption, guess what? You and I who know him will never see corruption. 
Psalm 16 and verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, David wrote, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Who is he speaking of? He is speaking of Jesus. He will not see corruption. Death has no power over Jesus. And the one enemy that David could never defeat was the enemy of sin and death, but Jesus defeated that enemy, and he gave David the victory, and he gives you and I the victory if we will trust in him. And by the way, there's an entire generation of people right now under the grip of sin and death, heading for corruption, and worse than that, eternal destruction in the lake of fire. And God has placed uh, His church here to tell people the soul-saving message of Jesus Christ and to help a generation who've not been raised the way you and I have been raised, who've not been taught the things that you and I have been taught, who've not been loved the way you and I have been loved, to help them hear the message of the gospel and be saved. And so may God help us to serve our generation by the will of God before we fall on sleep. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.